This podcast is brought to you by Western Reformed Seminary, the Reformed Seminary of the Great Pacific Northwest. Hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name is Carl Truman. I'm Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania and an ordained minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Here, as always, with my friend and straight man, uh, Todd Pruitt, uh, teaching elder, as the phrase has it, uh, in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, at the congregation that meets as Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg in beautiful Virginia. Good to be with you, Todd. Well, it's always good to uh, hang out, Carl, and uh, to be uh, reminded um, of the privilege it is to uh, sit beside an Amazon bestselling. Um, it is. Author. It's true. I, 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 you know, I always feel that you've improved a bit when we, I, when we part, I, a I, little I, bit of me has rubbed off. It, and- it's true. I, I always, when I'm driving away from these meetings, I think I'm, I think I'm a better man. Now. I, I think yeah. you probably are. Uh-huh, I think yeah. you probably are. It's true. <laughs> anyway, we have a special guest today. I'm going to give a little anecdote about this guest before we, we introduce her. Um, uh, some years ago, I was speaking at a conference, and uh, the husband of this guest and myself were, uh, were had become known at this conference for wearing brightly colored trousers or pants, as you Americans uh, <laughs> ambiguously refer to them. And somebody ran a Facebook competition on, on, on which of us was wearing the most cheerful and brightly colored pants. And I lost by one vote. And I found out that I lost by one vote because this man had recruited his own wife. <laughs> to vote for him. That's the kind of man you're dealing with here. And if I can name and shame him, Neil Stewart of the Associated Reformed Presbyterian Church. Well, we're delighted to have today his wife, Catherine Stewart. For years, Neil has been saying he was going to introduce me to her and always found some weak excuse why she never turned up. But leading myself and David Hall actually to doubt her existence. But... I've seen her on the screen today. She really exists. She she exists. Uh, Neil Stewart really does have a wife he called does. Catherine. Yeah. And Catherine, it is a delight to have you on the program. Thank you, Carl and Todd. It's a pleasure to be with you today. <laughs> and we want to talk to you today about a uh, great new book, Surviving the Fishbowl, Letters to Pastors Kids, which you have edited, uh, forward by a mutual friend of Todd and myself, mm-hmm. uh, David Strain. Mm-hmm contains an essay by one Katrina Truman. Yeah, um, it really does. I, yeah. I, 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 was per- I, I was moved to tears as I read Katrina's words. Makes that worth the price of the book, it does. I think. Well, for me, especially reading Katrina's chapter, I thought, you know, given the fact that she had to overcome all of Carl's deficiencies <laughs> in raising children, um, I, I found her chapter because of that particularly poignant. So. She's particularly ticked off that we get joint billing. It's Carl and Katrina. And she actually wrote it and I simply edited it. So 
But Catherine, it's a great, it's a great volume. It's an interesting volume. It's a companion to an earlier one you did, Letters to Pastors' Wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if you could just tell us, you know, what gave you the idea to do this, uh, this book? Well, that's an interesting question, Carl. So essentially, let me see, about, it would have been over 10 years ago now. Um, I remember picking up a book by Tom Askell. Um, I believe it was entitled, mm. uh, is it Letters to Timothy, I think it's yeah. called. And I read it and I was really struck by the fact that he made a wonderful book. And it's a compilation of letters, really, to a young man upon him embarking upon a life of ministry um, with wise counsel from more seasoned men in the ministry. And so, essentially, after reading that, I remember thinking, you know, we pastors' wives really need something just like that. Because while we're, um, you know, while we are uh, the other wing of the same bird, there are different uh, things that we face as pastors' wives every day. And so, I embarked upon the project uh, of trying to format a book like that for pastors' wives. And the Lord was very merciful. And um, I was able to gather some fantastic women who were willing, really willing to put pen to paper uh, you know, express their, their thoughts and share their wisdom. And the book came together very well. And after that, somebody said to me, I thought I was going to put my pen down after that. I thought that was just a, you know, a one-shot book. But somebody suggested that I actually embark upon one for pastor's children, because in reality, they face very different situations on a daily basis to the ones that even we as pastor's wives and, and pastors face. So that's, that's really where it all came from. Mm-hmm. I was really appreciative of the book. I mean, obviously, um, all three of my kids are pastor's kids. I thought that was a profound mm-hmm. point I observed. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I was very, I was very touched by the book because my my kids they're they're young adults now. Our youngest child is twenty; he just turned twenty one, and and I had some very nostalgic moments as I was reading through this, and mm-hmm. and also just some a number of times where I where I was given some insight. Uh, to think about certain things that they probably face that I hadn't thought of before. And I had always kind of thought I'd thought through this a lot. And, and then I was re- as I was reading through these chapters, I, I, I had several moments where um, I, I suppose um, on the one sense, uh, some compassion in certain areas mm-hmm. where I hadn't thought of before um, just becoming more aware perhaps of some of the challenges and, and, and I've talked with my kids a lot over the years about what it's like to be um, a pastor's kid. And um, of course, our, our daughter, be, being a girl, is more intuitive and more uh, uh, verbal on those things. And, and she and I have had occasion to have some really good conversations on on that subject. And, and even my boys who are less verbal, nevertheless, I used to press them on, is it is it hard for you, for your dad to be your pastor? Is it hard for you? Um, I would always ask them specifically, is it hard for you to hear me preach, you know, knowing me, you know, much more than the typical church member does seeing me at home. You know, my kids have seen me at my, you know, at my worst, my kids have seen that. And, and I used to ask them routinely, you know, uh, how's it going? How are you receiving, you know, preaching from me? And those always led to really good conversations, but imagine, you know, I would, I would just encourage church members to think about, you know, it it could be a challenge to, to sit under your dad's preaching Um, because, you know, a man, a a pastor doesn't have to be some sort of sinful hypocrite to, to still make it challenging for his children to sit under his preaching. I mean, that can be awkward perhaps at times. Um, 
But one of the things that I thought of as I was reading through uh, the chapters, I, first of all, I love the format of I, identifying kind of the, the, the special joys, because that's one of the things oftentimes I think maybe that we miss um, because it's clearly, you know, we want to talk about the challenges because we know that those are real, but sometimes we neglect talking about the fact that there are some joys to be had. And, and, and even my kids to this day would say that there were certain things that, that they really liked about being a pastor's kid, even though they saw some hard things, there were things that gave them joy. And even now my kids who are adult kids, my, my two boys live in town and, um, you know, listen to my preaching um, and, and they don't have to. And that, first of all, that's been kind of encouraging, but, but um, they would, they would say, and this surprised me the first time my boys told me this, that they liked listening to my preaching. And, and I thought, you know, that's a grace of the Lord. And what would you say in terms of, as you, as you were receiving and editing these contributions, what were some of the common themes you heard in terms of here are some of the, here are some of the joys, here are some of the, the pleasures that are attached to being right. raised right. in a pastor's home? Right. And I, you know, I think that's something that it's very easy um, with pastor's kids to, to major on the negative. Yeah. And in reality, it, it's a life to steeped in immense blessing. I mean, they yeah. are essentially raised at the hands of the most godly man in the church, theoretically. Theoretically. Yes, yeah, theoretically. That's true. Um, their daddy is the one who delivers God's word week in and week out. And they get mm-hmm. to have the privilege um, of living with the pastor. But of course, that is a double-edged sword. Like you said, they, they get to hear daddy discouraged. They they are exposed to him being criticized, and I mean, they also see him sin. And as you well know, sometimes our, our sins as PK parents are one bit pretty. Um, mm-hmm. But there's yeah. the, also the other aspect of it. They get to see the church at its best. Right. Um, in one sense, we are the first family of the church, and that just seems to automatically entail in people's hearts much affection towards the pastor's family. Yeah. And yeah. They want to pour into their lives. They want to love them. They want to, you know, envelop them as one of their own. And uh, I mean, they're just from a personal perspective, we have just watched the church pour into our family. I remember one person gave our oldest child their first car. I mean, that doesn't typically mm-hmm. happen with yeah. any old member of the church. There's, there's one dear lady who, when she picks up an extra night shift um, and, and nursing, she will she will donate a, a portion of that to one of our children every time. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think for our younger children, what stands out the most is that no matter where we've been, we have grandparents in the church. Uh, so probably, like Carl, you know, grandparents are 4,000 miles away. Yeah. And daily interaction and feeding into the children's lives is impossible. And so even here in this church, we've only been here five years, but in this church, I mean, we have grandparents here who take our children out to the science museum. You know, they will have them come for sleepovers at night and those kinds of things. And um and I do appreciate that every child views life in the ministry through different lenses. Um, some children, like adults, are born naturally optimistic and some are born naturally pessimistic, the kind of cup half empty, cup half full concept. But I love the way that in this book that Joel and Mary Biggie deal with it. Their chapter is entitled Count Your Blessings, Enjoying the Benefits of Being a PK. And the way they impart upon the adventure of ministry life is just unsurpassed. They deal with you know the multiple aspects of, of the privileges, you know, the witnessing of all the babies being born, all the weddings, you know, they see church growth, you know, 
they see building projects, they get the option of going on missionary trips. Um, I think, again, from a personal perspective, uh, um, hospitality has been a wonderful privilege for our children. And I think for most pastors' kids, countless numbers of, of well-known preachers and speakers, you know, um, come into the pastor's home. So they get the joy again of not just hearing them in the pulpit, but actually interacting with them one-on-one. And, um, you know, they array your dinner table. And, and that's not to even mention the, the, the privilege of hospitality within the church. And I, I accept that some PKs are natural-born introverts, but I would say at least for the majority of ours, it's extroverts and uh, they just relish the every Sunday whenever, you know, we have a family over to eat with us. Uh, if there's you know, a hustling, bustling house, a, a never-ending stream of, of company coming through. Um, I just don't think that's ever to be underestimated. And I think yeah. that, you know, they have a great privilege in all of that. Um, we've, we've served at Covenant Presbyterian now for eight years, and, and it's been a real blessing for us. And prior to that, we were, um, uh, we served at a church for almost five years. And um, it was a really, it was a very, very hard experience, very difficult experience. And our kids were uh, at very, very impressionable ages at that time. And they saw, you know, they saw me get beat up a lot. And, and to, to the extent where I mean, it was, it, it was a, an extremely challenging environment. We'll just say that. And, and I, one of the things that I worried about was just their own souls and how they were processing, seeing so much negative stuff out of the, out of the church. And one of the things I realized is, is they came through all of that without any hatred for the church at, at all. And, and I remember I was asked not long ago about that, about, you know, um, how, you know, how did your kids do? How did they process seeing you get, you know, beat up so much and, 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 and with, without having hard feelings towards the church. And the best answer I've come up with is, well, other than that experience, they've been in churches that have loved us really well. And so they know that there are really wonderful, godly churches that love them and have loved their parents well. And by God's grace, they were able to navigate that and, and to not define their feelings towards the church of Jesus, because there was one place where it was just particularly difficult. And that's where, as a pastor, I'm so thankful for the churches I've served, where, where my kids have been able to observe that church, um, love their pastor, love their dad well, because to this day, my, my kids have a positive view towards the church because they've seen so many instances where the church has been good to their dad and their mom. And that's a real blessing that they've gotten to see that. You know, that, that's really interesting. And um, Neil has this funny turn of phrase and um, uh, seeing the inner workings of a sausage factory yes. tends to make people think twice before the sausage in the future. Yeah, yes. And I think that I know for much of our lives, our, one of our dominant prayers has always been Lord, help our children to view the negative things through the eyes of the gospel. And I think that, you know, despite the fact that they see us sin every day, Mm -hmm. um, I think helping them process, uh, you know, the sin that they view in the church and remembering that, you know, they're not above that, those people that they are parallel sinners with those fellow church members and that they are just as prone to sin as them. It's really important that our children don't become self-righteous in the way that they view the church. Indeed, yeah. I think it's also important that the children don't think of the church as more perfect than it is as well. Right. 
I mean, I appreciate the the difficulty of helping them process the sin that they see, but I always felt with our kids, it, it was actually helpful to them to realize that there are some real problems yeah. in the church and in Christian mm-hmm. organizations, and so that they're not too disappointed when they realize, it's a little bit like growing up, when you, that day when you realize that your dad is not perfect. You know, mm-hmm. It can be a tough day, and I think it's, it's useful for, for kids to know that there isn't a perfect church here on earth. Do you have any advice, Catherine, on you know how much you should expose kids to, how much you should help them process, how much you should excuse, how much you, you, how, how have you talked to your kids about the the darker aspects of being involved in church and in Christian organisations? Yeah, yes, that's very interesting. So, I mean, first of all, that always Neil and I have always said. Listen to your children. They, you know, don't don't blow off sin, like you say, Carl, um, and don't minimize their burdens. You know, don't explain away the sin of the church, um, and 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 help them to see it through, um, the lens of the gospel. Mm. Um, to be honest with you, I think there are times when we have failed miserably at that. But what I have found most helpful is when you just get in your knees with your kids in prayer and just and just you know declare your own helplessness before the Lord, and and plead with Christ to have mercy and to, to help, you know, your children to see um, that there's more going on than what meets the eye, that this is Satan at work trying to destroy the church and um, that we essentially mustn't be vulnerable to Satan's ploys. Yeah, that's good. I um, wonder, as you think about um, uh, what are ways that a church can encourage uh, their pastor's kid. I, I know one of the things that is true and it's, it seems to be unavoidable if you're a pastor's kid and you know, you, you have it uh, in, in the title of the book, surviving the fishbowl. I just don't think there's any way to avoid the fact that people will typically pay a little bit more attention. Well, or at least watch a little bit more the pastor's kids. I, I think it's unavoidable. And I would say mm-hmm. because of that principle that people are watching the pastor's kids more closely, the church needs to be sensitive to try to encourage that th- th- those kids. Because I, I think to have an expectation where where, where, where the pastor's kids aren't going to be watched anymore or noticed. I think that's unrealistic. And so I think churches need to be um, uh, intentional on how can we encourage those kids? Because if we're not careful, when you, when you're a child and you know, and you start to learn that you're actually being watched and evaluated that, that can, that can play some, some pretty heavy tricks on your own heart, particularly at the heart of a child who, Who's, who can be insecure much more naturally. And so I, I, th- I think the church recognizing that, first of all, they need to recognize that, but secondly, you know, how, how, can a, how can a church be careful and mindful to love well and to encourage well their pastor's children? Right, yeah, right. I know I, know I often think that, you know, when, when the congregation put the, the pastor's kid on the pedestal, the only way is down. And right. I mean, and we've been, we've been there, you know, and that's yeah. very, very hard. And, um, I think something that we have found immensely helpful is when members of the congregation don't adopt the attitude, well, you know, they're the pastor's kid. So they, you know, they have the godliest man in the church leading up their lives. I think what has been extremely helpful for us is when people have actually intentionally leaned in with our children and discipled them. Yeah. taking them under their wing and share their own personal wisdom and personal life experiences with them. 
and just cultivated a meaningful friendship with them. And I, I mean that in a multi-generational sense. I don't mean just peers or, you know, um, mentors, but literally across, across the spectrum. Yeah. Um, I think one of the hardest things for our children in church is um, the expectations that are put on them. Um, you know, it, it, it's very hard for our pastors because they often feel like they've got to be friends with every newcomer that comes into the church and oftentimes end up with not being friends with anybody. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if, if the whole congregation can treat the pastor, his wife and children, just in the way that you would like another church to treat your son or daughter and, yeah. and your grandsons if they were pastor, I think that would be helpful. And and especially for older married couples, if they can just love pastor's children like their own grandchildren, yeah. um, you know, they will thrive. You catch more thrive with honey than you do with vinegar. You know, there's, um, I can think of several people in our church where we serve that are, everybody's in our, everybody in our church is kind to our kids, but I can think of several people who have been especially just really sensitive to them. And I I think of one lady um, in our church who is almost as old to be their grandmother, almost. And, uh, you know, each Sunday she comes up to my, my sons, one is 24, one is 21. And she just wraps her arms around their necks and tells them she loves them and is praying for them. And, uh, they, and my boys really appreciate that. They feel very affirmed by that. They know that every Sunday Mm -hmm. they're going to get a hug from this really kind woman. Another thing that we've seen at our church is one of the pastors that I serve with, um, uh, my younger son, who's 21, um, every once in a while, he'll call him and, uh, he'll come by our house and just take Matthew out for a walk just to, to, to talk to him. And Matthew's very verbal. And, and so this pastor, he, he can take Matthew for a walk through our neighborhood and Matthew opens up to him and just talks to him. And, you know, it's just one of my coworkers, one of my fellow pastors at the church who, who I think out of, out of a sincere desire to be a blessing to a pastor's kid, um, uh, ministers to my youngest son that way. And then my middle son, one of the other pastors I serve with just every once in a while takes him out to lunch just to see how he's doing, talk to him about, you know, young adulthood and being a man and those kinds of things. And as a result of that, my boys have a extremely positive attitude about our church and about the men that I serve with. Like I don't have to convince them that, that the pastors in our church are, are godly men because they know them. Right. That's right. It's funny. Exactly. The same thing happened today here. Mm. Uh, one of our staff members just, called up our son Benjamin and said, Hey buddy, you know, can we go for lunch tomorrow? It's great. And, uh, and, you know, I was talking, I was on a road trip last weekend with, with our oldest son. And, uh, I asked him, you know, just in light of speaking today, I asked him, you know, so buddy, like we have to really sum it all up. I said, what's it like being a pastor's kid? Hmm. And he said, you know, it's actually pretty great. He said, there are the rough patches. He said, but you know, you get special opportunities that other people don't get. Yeah. yeah. He said, you know, you get the opportunity to meet, people that you would never otherwise meet. Right. And he said, you know, he's just, he, we, we are very blessed. And I realize that not everybody is in that situation. But yeah. when, when people are genuinely and sincerely interested in the pastor's kid, it goes a long way. Yes, it does. And I would just encourage folks, make that investment because a, a pastor's kid is generally aware that he or she is being watched, that he or she is mm-hmm. in a fishbowl, and that that can cause a lot of insecurity in, in the heart of a kid. And just seek to to find ways to affirm them uh, in that way, and and it'll go a long way in in helping that kid 
really have a positive attitude about the body of Christ. Yeah. For sure. Just uh, we're sort of drawing to a close, Catherine, but I wonder, is there something that, as you read these essays, mm-hmm. were the things or a thing that, that you wished you had known hmm. as, a, as a mother of pastor's kids many years ago? Was there something that stood out and said, well, if I'd known that, yeah. life would have been so much easier or I wouldn't have made that mistake? Yeah, you know, there actually there was one thing, and it actually struck me. Uh, Amanda Martin wrote the chapter on loneliness. Um, yes. She, it's subtitled Friendship in Solitary Seasons. And I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, some kids are naturally, you know, pessimistic, some are optimistic. Well, some are naturally introverts and some are naturally extroverts. And I think that loneliness is something that I have not fully played up. And, um, you know, whenever you have a child who's an introvert, that loneliness can be a very, very influential factor in their lives and how they perceive ministry life. And if I had to go back again, I would, I would really weigh that up in terms of how I helped our children to navigate that mm-hmm. fishbowl. And um, yeah, that's really good insight. And I love, I, I loved that chapter because it, it, the, the pastor's kid can be lonely. And um, I, I just, I would encourage our, our listeners to, uh, to get a hold of this. Wonderful little book. It's published by Reformation Heritage Books, one of our favorite publishing houses. Um, a collection of letters to pastors' kids, um, surviving the fishbowl. It's edited by our guest Catherine Stewart, who is uh, a mother of uh, pastors' kids, and um, and she's given us a real gift um, in these collections. I, I, there were moments where I was just deeply moved um, by, by some of these chapters as I thought about my own kids, uh, both some of the struggles they've faced because of the calling that God's placed on my life, but some of the unique joys that they would certainly affirm. And, and was, I was helped. And I know that I'm, I'm actually getting ready to put my copy um, in the mail to my, my daughter who is, um, you know, in her mid twenties and lives uh, in, in the Washington DC area, because I know she's going to read some of these and, and be touched um, uh, by them just as she thinks about her own experience. And so Catherine, thank you for being on with us. Thank you for having the idea of the book and doing the work to, to put it together. Um, it was a real blessing to, uh, to read through. Well, it's a joy to be with you both. Thank you very much indeed for having me. Absolutely. And we would encourage our listeners to go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, where you can enter to win a copy of Surviving the Fishbowl, Letters to a Pastor's Kids. And um, I think Carl might've alluded to it earlier you know, even for those of you who are not pastors, you would benefit from this book, not only to know just how to minister to your pastor's kids, but also if you're raising Christian kids in the church, there are points of connection that you will have with these letters that you'll very much identify with just by, by, by being someone who's raising children in the church as well. You'll be able to identify with some of these things. Um, and, I, and I think you'll find them uh, quite helpful, but, but go to our website, register to win a copy of this uh, wonderful little book. And while you're there, uh, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is uh, donor supported. And if uh, you're so moved, you can make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And I know that that would be greatly appreciated. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. And we look forward to being with you next time on the Mortification of Spin.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. I met your husband, well, at the worship conference, I guess, yeah. two years ago or so. That would two, have been the last one, yeah. yeah um, but really appreciated him and have loved his preaching. I love his really, hand gestures. It's the hand gestures. He's, wow. He's, he's yeah. good. He's I good. don't want to stand within four feet of him. Well, then, get a black eye. well, this is what Neil understands. This is what Neil understands. When you're preaching at Midway Presbyterian against that massive wall oh, of, yeah. of, of wood paneling. Yeah. You know, you you disappear against it unless you uh, actually move around a little bit. Yeah, and so... Yeah. Uh, when he was being um, installed in, in this church that we're now in, Derek Thomas, he warned the folks that they were getting the most charismatic Presbyterian <laughs> pastor that he knew. So I think you're probably not far off the line. Western Reformed Seminary is a Bible-believing Presbyterian seminary in the great Pacific Northwest. Their mission is to prepare church leaders who are spiritually grounded, knowledgeable, capable, and dedicated through solid theological training. Academic degrees such as Masters of Biblical or Theological Studies, as well as the Masters of Christian Ministry, with emphasis in Biblical Counseling, Missions, or Church Ministry. Along with degree programs, students may take a class as a standalone for credit or audit. Although residency classes offer the best learning environment, Western Reform Seminary offers interactive, synchronous classes for students unable to attend in person, as well as concentrated classes in January and May every year. For more information, visit wrs.edu or email registrar at wrs.edu. Western Reformed Seminary.